Welcome to the second lesson in Matt's Music Class, the podcast for learning to understand music. I'm Matthew Dayton, and today we're going to continue from where we left off last time in our exploration of musical time. First, I'd like to share a couple of my favorite songs with you, just to get some music in our ears, and then I'll talk about why I like these songs so much, their surface similarities and differences, and the whole point of starting with these particular songs, the thing about their underlying time structures that we're going to learn about in this lesson. Okay, so the first song I'm going to sing while playing on my classical guitar here is called Delicate Beauty. Actually, I'm just going to sing the first couple verses, but all the verses are kind of just variations of the same theme, so you'll get the idea. It was written by the 17th century English lutenist and composer Henry Laws, so he probably wrote it originally for lute, but I'm playing a transcription for guitar by Frederick Node. I'd like you to listen for the beat, it's rather fast. And while you listen, try to imagine whether the movement of this music would fit most naturally with a fast walk or a relaxed sort of swaying from side to side. Try actually doing these movements if you can to see which one kind of feels better with the song. Here it is. Delicate beauty, why should you disdain With pity at least to lessen my pain Yet if you purpose to render no judge of those laws. Suffer in silence I can with delight, courting your anger to live in your sight. Inwardly languish and like my disease, always provide at my sufferance, please. Now, I like that song for many reasons. Being a fan of Elizabethan poetry in general, I find the highfalutin verbiage and clever rhymes particularly satisfying. Although, who knows, maybe it wasn't highfalutin back then. Maybe people just talked like that in those days. And I also really love how the guitar part has its own melody, quite distinct from the sung melody, and so the guitar and voice are like two distinct characters having like a conversation with each other. That feeling of multiple distinct melodies interlocking and kind of conversing with each other through time's movement is a characteristic feature of what we generally tend to call classical music. And it's the main reason I love classical music, because it makes it possible to squeeze so much musical information into a song that you can listen to the same piece many times and listening to a different instrument or like a different melody band within the whole bandwidth, you hear a new piece of the puzzle each time. It's very cool. Now, what about the way time moves in that song? The beat was pretty fast. It was going like this. Bum, 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 delicate beauty. And that would be a pretty fast walk, almost a jog, really. But if you tried to sway to that beat, obviously you couldn't possibly do a sway from side to side on each beat. It would be too fast. But maybe every couple beats or something, like sway, sway, delicate beauty. To my mind, the swaying feels like it fits much more naturally with all the melodies in the song. So it's almost like there's two beats going on. There's the regular one, the pulse, but then there's like a larger one that gives us the way we would want to move our bodies to the music. So now I'm going to travel forward a few hundred years in time and play you a song with a steel string guitar, thank you modern technology, written by the wonderful Winnipeg-based singer-songwriter slash poet John K. Sampson. Although my rendition here will be acoustic, the original recording uh, uses electric guitars and nice loud rock drums as it's performed by the rock band The Weaker Thans. 
I'm just going to do the first verse of the song, but if you like it, please look it up and buy the Weaker Than's album From Whence It Came to support these clever Canadians. The album is called Reunion Tour, it's from 2007, and pretty much every song on the album is just delightful. The title of the song that I'm going to sing should give you a hint as to its context and the character singing the words. It's called Vertute the Cat Explains Her Departure. It had something to do with the rain Leeching loamy dirt And the way the back lanes came alive Go. For a while I heard you missing steps in the street And your anger pleading in an uncertain key Singing the sound that you found from me Given my fondness for clever poetry, you can probably tell why I love John K. Sampson's songwriting, and the deliciousness of singing the words of both these songs is something that I think they have in common. But they are obviously in very different musical styles, especially if you imagine the rock drums and electric guitars with distortion effects providing the accompaniment there. But if you listened for the beat in that rock song, maybe more like rock ballad, you might have noticed it's actually just about the same speed as in the lute song. And not only that, but you might have also felt the same exact swaying motion fitting perfectly with Vertute's apologetic. Sway, sway, it had something to do with the rain. Right? So the time structure that creates that feeling of swaying, as opposed to walking or skipping, is the first new time concept we're going to look at in this lesson. But before we dive into that, I want to make sure we're solid on the musical time concepts from lesson one. As a very brief recap, we should now be familiar with the importance of the beat, which is the feeling of a steady, even pulse established by sounds happening in time, which, you'll recall, is the definition of music itself, sound in time. Rhythms are just shorter and longer sounds contrasting with the beat, just like dark lines contrast with a white paper to create an illusion of objects in visual space in a drawing, and the most common shorter and longer sounds are actually latent inside the beat because they're generally formed from subdivisions or augmentations of the beat. If all that sounds like Greek to you, I suggest going back to lesson one, especially the part where I introduced subdivisions and rhythm syllables, so you can get the full explanation. But now I'm just going to remind you of our rhythm options using the rhythm syllables I introduced in lesson one. So in most music, the beat is not explicitly sounded by any instruments or anything, it's just felt or implied by the rhythms. But since hearing and feeling the relationship between short and long sounds, i.e. rhythm, and the beat is so crucial to understanding how music is put together, I'm going to have the beat going with this kick drum sound while I talk over it to demonstrate the subdivisions we might use to create rhythms, as well as some example rhythms. Here's the beat. And our basic long sound stretches over two beats. Its syllable is ta, 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 ta. Our basic short sound is exactly the same length as each beat, and its syllable is ta, 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 ta. If you want your music to start jogging, you'd use 
two sounds to a beat, and its syllable is tadi 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 tadi. And to squeeze in even more notes into a beat, it's the four syllable takadimi 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 takadimi. And of course, any of these syllables can be replaced with a silence for that syllable's length, which would be called a rest. Using these building blocks, you can make up a sequence of rhythm syllables, perform them so their timing maintains the right proportions to the beat, and you've started making up a song. For example, ta, takadimi ta di ta di ta. That rhythm sequence had a rest that lasted uh, the length of a ta, which was on the second beat, and it had a rest that lasted only half a beat because it replaced the first syllable in the ta di on the seventh beat with a rest and kept the D in the right place. And now, the moment you've no doubt been waiting for with bated breath, the answer to your homework assignment from last time, what are the rhythm syllables of this melody? By the way, that was the first phrase of Edvard Grieg's In the Hall of the Mountain King. It's a very famous tune. Uh, but if you remember, I give you a hint that it started with a toddy, and you might have noticed this melody is actually made up of mostly toddies. So if you just listen for when the notes get longer than the norm, it makes it much easier to figure out that the rhythm syllables are Now the second half might have been tricky because it seemed like it was going to repeat the exact same melody as the first half, but instead of pausing with a ta after the three toddies, it keeps the toddies going until the long note at the end of the phrase. But of course, it's the very fact that this melody sets up our expectations and then foils them, just like the setup and punchline of a joke, that makes it so captivating and sticky. And that's just in its rhythmic character. What it does with pitches is equally mischievous and delightful, but we'll get to pitches in lesson three. Now that we've got some skill with basic rhythms, we're going to play a little game that will both reinforce our attention on the ever-important beat and introduce a third awesome concept for what you can do with musical time. First, we're just going to create a beat, but we're going to give the beat a pattern by alternating between a pat on your leg and a snap with your fingers. It's okay if your snaps don't make a sound, just slide a finger across your thumb in a short, quick motion to show the beat. Because remember, the beat doesn't need to make sound, it just needs to be felt. So our beat should go like this. Pat, snap, pat, snap. Now keep that beat going with me, and at the same time, I'm gonna speak a rhythm sequence. If you can, keep the beat going with your pats and snaps, and also say the rhythm with me. Just join in when you're ready. I'll repeat the rhythm sequence several times. And here's the rhythm sequence. Ta 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 di ta 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 di ta ta. Good. So this rhythm sequence is six beats long. It starts with the long ta, then a ta, a ta di and two ta's to finish. Remember that sequence. Ta, 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 di, ta, ta. Now, I want you to do something very similar, 
but this time, don't say the rhythm with me because I need you to concentrate on making a different beat pattern. Your new beat pattern will start with a pat, and then you'll do two snaps, everything still landing on the beat, before going back to the pat. So your pattern is now pat, snap, snap, like this. Pat, snap, snap, pat, snap, snap. So notice the beats haven't changed their length, you're just changing where you put your pats and snaps. Keep this new beat pattern going while I speak a rhythm sequence again. You can join me if you like, but you don't have to. Just make sure to keep your beat pattern going steady. The question I want you to think about is, is this the same rhythm sequence, or did it change somehow? Here we go. Ta, 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 di, ta, 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 ta. Now do the first pattern again. Pat, snap, pat, snap. Ta, 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 ta and switch back to the pat snap snap ta 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 di ta 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 di ta ta so what do you think same rhythm sequence or different well the rhythm syllables were exactly the same ta 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 di ta ta i just repeated that same sequence every time so if the rhythm is just the lengths of sound in a particular sequence fitting against the beat lengths, then the rhythm didn't change at all. And yet, when saying this same rhythm sequence but changing where the pats and snap beats go, it feels like a completely different experience of musical time. This phenomenon reminds me a lot of optical illusions. Even if you've never heard the term Necker cube, you've probably seen one in some book or drawing somewhere. It's that drawing of a cube where the 3D illusion is made by actually drawing two squares overlapping but offset diagonally from each other with four lines connecting all the corners. And the cool thing about this optical illusion is that when you first look at it, your brain automatically makes an interpretive decision about whether the cube is sticking up toward you and out of the page or going back away from you and into the page. And that's how it looks at, uh, to you at first, but when you stare at it a bit longer, the interpretation switches, and you suddenly see the other cube. And then you can switch back and forth between the in-cube and the out-cube pretty much at will, all the while being aware that this illusion was made just by 12 two-dimensional lines. And just like that Necker cube, the change we made in our rhythm illusion wasn't with the rhythms themselves, the longs and shorts, and it wasn't in the lengths of the beats, if you think about it, it was just in the importance, the relative importance of the beats. When we were alternating pat and snap to make the beat, we established not just a beat, but a two-beat cycle. And the beat that comes at the beginning of the cycle feels more important. That's the pat. It feels like it just has a bit more weight than the second beat, which was the snap. And when a rhythm is sounded against this two-beat cycle, that extra weight on the first beat of the cycle gets imparted onto whatever rhythms land on this, and this is the technical term for it, strong beat, also known as the downbeat. 
And what I think is really cool about this process is that this extra weight on the strong beat, which gets imparted onto whatever rhythm lands on it, doesn't come from sound. The rhythm doesn't get played louder or with more energy. It could even be played softer than all the other rhythms, or it could even be a rest that lands on the strong beat. The extra weight of the strong beat gets put there by your brain. It's pure, automatic, unconscious interpretation, and it determines what you perceive, just like optical illusions. So that's why the same rhythm played in the context of a two-beat cycle, pat, snap, pat, snap, feels and sounds so different when we change the context to a three-beat cycle, pat, snap, snap, pat, snap, snap. Because the two-beat cycle, in the two-beat cycle, the first ta has weight, the very next ta also has weight, and the second to last ta has weight. Those are the rhythms that landed with the pats. But in the three-beat cycle, the ta keeps its weight, but then the toddy is the next rhythm to have the weight of the strong beat, and there are only two strong beats for the whole rhythm sequence before it starts again. So let's do this cycle switching one more time so we can pay attention to how different they make this rhythm sequence feel. We'll start with the two-beat cycle, pat, snap, pat, snap, and when I say switch, we'll switch to the three-beat cycle, pat, snap, snap, on the next strong beat. I'll just be playing the same rhythm the whole time on my drum, and just listen to how the, the change in context makes it feel like a completely different rhythm, even though it's exactly the same notes the whole time. And to really bring out the contrast, I'm going to actually replace my pats with a kick drum sound, and I'm going to replace my snaps with a little hi-hat tap. So you'll hear that even better uh, when you're listening. Remember to keep your pats and snaps going to the beat, and switch your pattern when you hear me say switch, so that you can really feel the difference that it makes to the context of the rhythm as you listen. Here we go. Ta 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 di ta 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 di ta ta. Switch ta 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 di ta 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 di ta. Switch back. So being aware of this beat cycle, which is the repeating pattern of a strong beat followed by some fixed number of presumably weaker beats, even though they're all the same length and could even be played the same loudness if they're being played at all, being aware of this beat cycle in music is sort of like going meta with the rhythm and the beat. It's like you zoom out to a higher level of perception of how time is flowing in the music. And on this level, the time is marked out not by every beat, but by every strong beat. And there's probably a pun to be made here, though I'm not going to do it, because the technical term for this process of going meta and perceiving the beat cycles is meter. And we generally describe the meter of a song by the number that corresponds to how many beats are in each cycle. So for example, when our meter was created by Pat Snap, or Strong Week, we would say that's a meter of two. When it's Pat Snap Snap, Strong Week Week, we call that a meter of three. 
You might also hear people say duple meter or triple meter when they want to sound more sophisticated, but it's the same thing. Meter of two, meter of three. Now, the last thing you should know about meter, for now, is that its numbers actually don't go very high. I mean, sure, if you looked at notation of songs and rhythms from Eastern European and Middle Eastern music traditions, you might see meter signs with numbers like 7, 10, 13, usually with the number 8 below them. But those are actually just notation conventions that don't really intuitively capture what those music's meters are actually doing and what they actually feel like. And importantly, musicians in those traditions don't really use that kind of notation at all for teaching and learning their music. In the realm of listening to and feeling music, which is what we're working with here and what's really important as far as I'm concerned, beat cycles won't generally go above four or five actual beats as opposed to notated beats. And the reason for this is because our brains find it really easy to group things into around a maximum of four items. Any higher than that, and it'll want to break things back down into smaller groups to make things easier for itself. For example, if the computer flashes a picture of some random number of objects in front of you for just a split second, if the number of objects was four or fewer, you will know with certainty how many things were in the picture. If it was greater than four, you're going to be much more uncertain. Our brains love for things to be in groups of especially two or three, which is why I introduced meter with those examples. But four is fine, probably because two groups of two is just a lovely thing, and it might take some practice, but a group of two and a group of three making five can be almost as intuitive as two groups of two. But like a six-beat cycle, that's just not a thing. Your brain will automatically break it down into either two cycles of three or three cycles of two. In fact, we're going to look at some examples of that very soon. But first, we need to listen for the meter and feel it working in actual songs. Now, when I teach this concept in the elementary school classroom, I love to use tennis balls, because bouncing a tennis ball on the ground makes such a clear, palpable, strong beat, and the big movements it requires fit so nicely with the motor coordination skills that evolution has made so appealing to us that it's just a super fun music listening activity. So if you have a tennis ball and some floor space available, doing this activity with tennis balls is just about as much fun for grown-ups as it is for kids, which is a lot. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play some music clips, and as we listen, we're going to find and perform the meter of the song along with it. Remember, meter is just the repeating cycle of beats made by a strong beat that starts the cycle, followed by one, two, or maybe even three weaker beats before another strong beat to restart the cycle. So what you're listening for is that strong beat. And for every strong beat, I'm going to say one, because that's the first beat of the cycle. And on that strong beat, I want you to pat your leg like we were doing before, or you can tap whatever surface you have available. If you're going with the tennis ball, the strong beat is where you make the tennis ball bounce on the ground, and try to time it so that the ball bounces exactly on the word one. After the strong beat, for all the weak beats, I'm going to count up softly the numbers of the weak beats up to the next strong beat and you can show each weak beat with a snap. Uh, so you should do that with me, or if you've bounced your tennis ball, you should try to time your catch of the tennis ball, which would now be bouncing up towards you, to land with the first weak beat after the strong beat, and then if there are more weak beats before the next strong beat, in other words, if the meter is three or four, just pass the tennis ball from one hand to the other for each of those additional weak beats. It's kind of complicated to explain, but it should be easy to feel once we get going. So let's do our first example. It's a song with a meter of two, so it's just a, a tap or pad or bounce alternating with the snap. 
So we'll be doing pat, snap, pat, snap, or bounce, catch, bounce, catch, all while saying one, two, one, two. Make sure you time your strong beats to line up with mine, and pay attention to how they fit so nicely with the strong beats in the music. One, two, 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 one, two. Now that 16th century tune, very typical of Western European music, established its meter of two, not just by emphasizing notes in the melody, but also the accompanying instruments would always play a low note on each strong beat. And if you tried to impose a meter of three onto that same melody, uh, keeping the beats the same length, like we did with the rhythm illusion before, the strong beats you did, half of them would seem like they landed in the wrong place. It, would, it just wouldn't feel like it fits the rhythms of the melody. So most rhythm sequences actually aren't made to fit a meter of two and a meter of three equally well. One or the other will usually feel like it fits more naturally with the rhythm. For example, a rhythm that frequently features two long sounds right in a row, ta, ta, that will usually imply a meter of two uh, much more strongly than a meter of three just because the two long sounds right in a row will feel like two strong beats in a two-beat cycle. Let's do another song in a meter of two, but this one will have a lot more rhythmic complexity going on, so it'll be a test of your concentration. It's a Colombian style of music um, called vallenato, and uh, the sub-genre in the vallenato style is called a paseo. And uh, there's an ins important instrument in there giving the beat, so if you lock your attention onto it, it might make it a bit easier to feel how everything fits together. Listen for the instrument making a kind of metallic scraping sound. By the way, the instrument is called a guiro. Uh, have a listen and do the meter with me. Strong, weak, strong, weak. One, two, 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 one, two. Now let's try a couple of songs in a meter of three. The first one is a string quartet, and it will feature a melody played uh, on high notes by a violin, while many of the beats will actually be played by the other three instruments, another violin, a viola, and a cello, which together form the background for most of the song. Uh, try to focus your attention on those background notes as they can help you keep the meter, which, remember, is tap, snap, snap, strong, weak, weak. Here we go. One, two, three, 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 one, two, three. The next song is also in a meter of three, and it's kind of a slow, lilting, modern American folk dance tune. See if you can figure out what instrument is in the background, uh, really just giving us the meter, and how it's doing it. One, two, three, 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 one, two, 
Did you notice how the guitar was playing mostly a repeating pattern of a low note followed by two strums? We were essentially playing along with the guitar's pattern there. Okay, this is the last practice song, and then I'll give you a couple songs where you have to figure out the meter for yourself. This one is a meter of four, so remember, we'll be doing tap, snap, snap, snap. Strong, weak, weak, weak. Let's try it. One, two, three, four. 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 One. Now you might have thought that that song could just as easily have been in a meter of two, and you'd be right in a certain sense, but uh, the only reason to really think of a song as being in a meter of four rather than in a meter of two is because oftentimes uh, the melody will have patterns that kind of stretch farther than just two beats. Uh, sometimes they'll stretch to four beats or even longer, and uh, in those cases it makes more sense to think about it as uh, really coming in larger groups than just two beats. Okay, so now it's time to try one on your own. I'll just play the song. It could be in a meter of two, three, or four. I suggest not guessing right away, but take a few moments to just feel the music and take in everything it's doing with a clear, open mind. Then try to feel for where the strong beats are landing and start out just tapping the strong beats, just feeling for the strong beats. Once you've got the strong beats going and they're matching up with the music nicely, then just count in your mind or out loud the numbers of beats in each cycle like I was doing with the practice songs. Okay, here's the first one. You If you got the meter of four, you nailed it. If you felt it in two, that's also good, since four is basically just two groups of two. The meter of three is the only one that really should have felt very strange to try to impose onto that song. One very interesting thing you may have noticed with the song was that the strong beats didn't match up with the loudest hits from the drums. The drums actually made a pattern in which it played a loud hit on the snare drum on beats two and four of the meter which usually feel the weakest in a cycle of four. That pattern is a technique ubiquitous to any music influenced by West African traditional music, of which rock and roll is a prominent one, and it creates a very unique tension between the meter and the actual sounds of the rhythms from the multiple drums that really lay down the beat. Putting those accents on beats two and four is called a backbeat, and we'll certainly talk about it more in later lessons. This next one may be a challenge, since it's just two flutes playing a piece of classical music which, if you remember from lesson one, tends to try to obscure the beat with sophistication and cleverness. Just try your best to listen openly at first, and just use your intuition to feel the cycle of strong beats. It's definitely there. Try it out.
Okay, so that was a mellifluous meter of three. If you listen really closely, you might notice that one flute was playing lots of long notes, while the other flute tended to do this background pattern that was actually made up of little three-note patterns. It was doing this one, two, three, four, five, six kind of thing, while the meter implied by the melody flute was going one, two, three, one, two, three. So that's an instance of how uh, the composer is kind of showing off his cleverness because there's something a bit unusual about that combination of one, two, three, four, five, six going on at the same time with one, two, three. And it has to do with the very next and last concept for this lesson. We're going to leave the meter, beat, and background for a minute and go back to thinking about rhythms. If we look at the basic rhythms we're familiar with here, ta, ta, tadi, and takadimi, we've already noted how they're related to each other by division. Cut the ta in half and you get a ta, or rather you get two ta's, or you could think of it as two ta's fit inside one ta. And it goes that same way down the line. Split a ta in two and you get two syllables fitting in each ta, which would be the tadi. Split each of those syllables in two, and you get the taka fitting inside the ta, and the dimi fitting inside the di. Ta di becomes taka dimi, right? But dividing things into groups of two is only one option that our brains favor. Our brains also enjoy grouping things into threes. Now, if we don't change the beat at all, then if we try to split a ta, which lasts two beats, into three equal shorter rhythms. So you have to imagine like something shorter than the ta, but a little bit longer than the ta di, so that you actually get three equal sounds over the space of two beats. You're going to end up with this very complex subdivision where you have to f somehow fit in three sounds over the space of two beats and do a really fancy calculation uh, just off the top of your head. And that's really cool. And there are several world music traditions that actually take great advantage of the coolness of what that kind of division sounds like. It's called two against three, by the way. But it takes a lot of practice and a strong mastery of the beat to perform that kind of division with ease. Unless, of course, you just happen to have grown up in a culture where those kinds of rhythms are bread and butter. And lucky for you if that's the case. So let's leave dividing the ta'a by three alone for a while and see if it's easier to divide anything else by three. How about the ta'a? Well, there's not going to be any conflict with the beat there because a ta lasts for one beat. And anything that fits inside the ta also fits inside the beat. So no complicated musical arithmetic will be required to feel that kind of division because the rhythms won't be doing anything to mess with our sense of where the beat is landing. And indeed, dividing the ta into three equal shorter sounds gives us a new basic and totally natural type of rhythm. Let's see what it feels like. I'm going to tap some patterns. Each one will be four beats long, and after each one, just echo me, tapping on whatever's handy. Let's try it.
Now by the time you echoed the last pattern there, you should have felt like the beat is moving along with latent short notes not as toddies, so not like toddy toddy one two one two, but rather a tiny bit faster, though not as fast as Takadimi's. It should have felt like the beat was going one two three one two three one two three one two three. And that change in perspective doesn't change the lengths or evenness of the beats at all, but it gives the rhythms a sort of lilting skipping feel. So in our system of rhythm syllables, I like to give this new basic rhythm option the name takide. Three syllables evenly divided into the beat. Takide, 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 ta. Try saying it while tapping the beat with me. We'll just do a pattern of three takides and a ta, like I just did, repeating it a few times to get the feel of it. Here we go. Takide, 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 ta. Takide, 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 ta. Takide, 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 ta. Takide, 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 ta. I know it can feel like a tongue twister at first, but with practice, it'll get easier and feel very natural pretty quickly. The feel of this underlying subdivision in threes, the underlying takide, takide, is super common in Western European and Northern American musics, and it's even the basis of the form of uh, humorous poetry you may have heard of, the limerick. There was an old man of Kilkenny. In rhythm syllables, that would be de taki de taki de taki. Notice how the poem starts on the third syllable of the taki de just before the beat, just before the first beat. And just FYI, musicians call that a pickup, when a tune starts with notes before the first beat or before the first strong beat. Now, the most potentially confusing thing about using this new takide feel is to remember that trying to mix subdivisions of three with subdivisions of two, in other words, trying to use takides and tadis and takademis all at the same song, is really hard. It requires a fairly high level of mastery over rhythm and beat, so if you're playing or making up a rhythm that starts out using the takide underlying the beat, then you should avoid throwing in a tadi all of a sudden and definitely avoid throwing in a takademi into the middle of the mix, um, unless you really know what you're doing. Not that you'll injure anything other than your pride, but still. And uh, if you start out using the tadi underlying the beat, tadis and takademis, it's actually a little easier to throw in uh, a takide once in a while into that mix, because, again, the beat kind of stays the same. It's easier to switch from divisions of two to divisions of three than the other way around, switching from divisions of three to all of a sudden divisions of two. But the nice thing is that you can use ta's and ta-a's equally easily in both feels of two and three, because they just sound and feel exactly the same whether the underlying subdivision is three or two. Okay, so now we have not just a new type of rhythm available to us, but that rhythm has given us access to a whole new feel of time's movement for a song. The options for this new feel, which I'll call the Taki Day feel from now on, are ta, ta, Taki Day, and rests. Of course, replacing uh, any of the syllables in the Taki Day with a rest can get tricky, um, except in the case of, uh, like in the beginning of the limerick, leaving only the day and having the ta and the key be silent, that creates the feeling of a pickup, which is a very natural and easy thing to do. But that's only three options of rhythm types, and our toddy feel gets four options, I hear you complaining. Well, you're in luck, because there is a fourth option in our new toddy day feel, and it's a very natural thing because it makes the exact rhythm of one of our most natural and playful forms of movement, skipping. Think about how skipping works for a second. 
especially the sound of your feet uh, when you skip. And if you have room and opportunity, skip around the room a bit to, feel, to really feel it. The mechanics of skipping you could describe as alternating between a hop and a step. When you hop, you land on the same foot that you took off with, and right after you land, you simultaneously step with the other foot and take off on the next hop. When you put those pieces together in a flowing, continuous movement forward, the sound of your feet creates a rhythm, where the takeoff of the hop makes a long-feeling sound, and then the landing makes a short sound because it's followed so quickly by the next takeoff. So the rhythm of skipping goes like this. Long, short, long, short, long, short, long. Tap it with me for a bit to get the feel of it. You might have noticed that when we tap that skipping rhythm, each of our long taps feels like it lands on the beat, which means one long sound and one short sound all fit inside the beat. And the only way that makes sense if you're going to subdivide the beats into equal shorter rhythms will be to get the subdivision of three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Well, that's our talkie day feel. And if you want to turn a talkie day into one long and one short sound, you just keep the day at the end, that's our short sound, and you just take out the key syllable, replacing it with a continuation of the ah from the ta at the beginning, and you get ta de ta de ta de ta. So that's our fourth rhythm option in the Taki de feel. Ta de. Just remember, it's the skipping rhythm, and that day has to be really short, so it almost feels like it doesn't belong to the beat that it's inside of, it belongs to the next beat because it's really a pickup to that next beat. Ta de ta. The day has to be really short. You just remember that and you'll be able to feel that very naturally. So finally, we're ready to use this new talky day feel to make some new rhythm sequences. Our options again are ta lasts for two beats, ta lasts for one beat, talky day, which is three syllables inside one beat, and ta day a long and a short inside one beat, which is the skipping rhythm, so remember the day has to lead right into the next beat as like a pickup. And of course, rests of any of those syllables lengths uh, you can use, but it's easiest to make uh, to replace one of the longer sounds with a rest. So here's a rhythm, uh, a rhythm composition using the talky day feel, and this is also an example of what you'll do for your homework assignment after this lesson. It's going to be eight beats long, and I'll start out with a nice simple pattern of, uh, let's try, taki de ta, taki de ta. So that's my first four beats. And then for the next four beats, I want to get a little more challenging and uh, start using some ta days. So I'm going to go ta de ta de taki de ta. So here's all eight beats of my whole rhythm composition. Taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta. I'll say it a few times while tapping the beat softly on my drum and you tap the beat and say it along with me when you're ready. Here, here we go. Taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta, taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta, taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta, taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta, taki de ta, taki de ta. Ta de ta de taki de ta, taki de ta, taki de ta, ta de ta de taki de ta. 
Right, so there's your first homework assignment. Make up your own 8-beat rhythm sequence in the Taki Day feel, using only those options. Ta, ta, Taki Day, Ta Day, and rests, although I recommend using only one rest at most. And then practice saying your new rhythm sequence while tapping the beat. Your second homework assignment will be to look at the rhythm sequence you composed from homework for homework from lesson one, which you now know is in the ta di feel, and write a new eight beat rhythm sequence again in the ta di feel. So remember the options there are ta 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 di and takadimi. But try to make this new rhythm sequence be almost as different from your first one as possible. An easy way to do this would be, for example, if you used mostly shorter rhythms in the first one, like a lot of takadimis or tadis, use a lot more longer rhythms and rests in the new one. The key word there, though, was almost as different as possible. Make sure you have at least something in the new sequence that is the same as in the old, for example, having a tadi on the sixth beat or something. Then practice saying your new rhythm sequence while tapping the beat at the same time. In the next lesson, we'll explore what it feels like to play two different rhythm sequences, like the two in the toddy field that you will have now made up, together at the same time. And your final homework assignment is, I'm going to play you two clips of music, and your job is to figure out which of them is in the taki day feel and which is in the toddy feel. So remember, taki day feels like it's got a skipping feel, so it's going taki de taki de ta de ta de taki de taki de one two three one two three and toddies of course feel more like they're just walking or jogging along toddy toddy takadimi toddy 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 one two one two so here are the music clips remember you have to figure out which one is in the taki de feel and which one is in the toddy feel Well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the second lesson from Matt's music class. These, uh, the clips that I used in this lesson come from the following albums. The first uh, clip that you heard was a 17th century English tune called The Lady's Delight. It was performed by the Baltimore Consort on their uh, 1994 album, The Lady's Delight, and uh, it was written by Anonymous. The second clip was a song called A Blanco y Negro, it was performed by Riquelme Carrillo and band, uh, and it came from the uh, 2008 Smithsonian Folkways Recordings album called Ayombe, the Heart of Colombia's Musica Vallenata, and it was written by Omar Gélez. Then the third clip was the second movement minuet from Joseph Haydn's String Quartet No. 1, Opus 1. Uh, it's nicknamed La Chasse, and it was performed by the Kodali Quartet on their 1991 album 
Haydn String Quartets, uh, Volume 1. And that's a Naxos album, I believe. Then the fourth clip we had was uh, called La Tache, which I think is French for The Task. Um, it was performed by a Boston-based uh, folk dance band called Elixir on their album, 20, uh, their 2013 album, Anybody's Guess. And it was written by, I think, the guitarist of their group, uh, Owen Morrison. Then the fifth clip we had was a traditional Irish reel called The Mullinger Lee, and it was performed by Brian Conway on fiddle and Felix Dolan on piano. Um, and it was from their 2002 Smithsonian Folkways Recordings album, First Through the Gate. And then the next clip after that was uh, Aretha Franklin's uh, song called Think, and uh, it was from her 1968 album, Aretha Now, and it was written by Ted White and Aretha Franklin. The seventh clip uh, came from the uh, second movement of the duo number two for two flutes, Opus 10, by a composer named Friedrich Kulau, and he was a contemporary of Mozart and Beethoven's, I believe, and he was also a famous flute player of his day. Uh, it was performed by Laurel Zucker and Rene Siebert from their 2004 album, The Complete Kulau Flute Duos and Divertissement. And then the uh, first of the two clips that you're supposed to figure out whether it's a toddy feel or a taki de feel. Uh, the first one was the Allemande from the Suite for Two Recorders, written and performed by yours truly, Matthew W. Dayton. And uh, you can actually listen to the whole suite on uh, my Bandcamp site uh, if you just go to www.mwdaytonmusic.bandcamp.com. And then the last clip was the second movement rondo from the duo for two violins in D major, number two, opus 23, by a composer named Ignaz Playel, and he was actually a student of Joseph Haydn's. Um, it was performed by Vilmos Zavadi and Bela Banfalvi. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I apologize if not. And uh, it comes from their 2010 album, Playel, Duos for Two Violins, opus 23. So if you want to learn more about any of those songs, uh, listen to the whole track, buy the album, please go out and do that, and uh, support the musicians who create and recreate all that wonderful music. All right, so that's it for me. Happy listening, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>